This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined as always by Mo Stewart. Mo, how are you feeling ahead of this week's game, mate? This weekend's game? Good, actually. Yeah, it's been strange because obviously there's been the international break and so much has happened and we haven't really had a long build-up into it, but it's kind of starting now. And yeah, the more I look into it, the more uh, enthused I am about the potential for a good outcome, if not necessarily a good game. Yeah, well, it's been, I don't know about you, mate, it's been the longest international break ever. Like, it's just, how is it still going? (laughs) I haven't watched any of the games either, actually. It, it, I feel really bad considering like I'm supposed to be a football writer, but um, I just haven't really had too much of an interest. But I, I feel like that would have sped it up for me, but it's done the opposite. Maybe it's the, maybe it's because we've got Manchester City coming up. Maybe that's uh, that's why it's kind of like the slow build-up to it, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think also when you've got a fixture like that, it is always going to be, well, and I say always for the last three or four years, it's been the one of the biggest games of the season. So it's always going to be hanging over you like a big like behemoth blimp in the background. So it's almost like any other football in between is almost irrelevant until that comes along. But obviously, with some of our players playing away and particularly the forwards and how they got on, it does have some relevance, I think, to the game we're going to play. So I'm sure there are some things that we can take out of what they've been up to, which can inform us going forward into how we plan or how Jurgen Klopp plans to attack this game. Yeah, well, obviously, considering the size of the game, um, it's pretty much going to be the the whole talk on points for this podcast, I think. So I'm not sure how long we'll go on for. Um, I would guess that it will be shorter than usual, but whenever I say that, we end up doing two hours. So... <laughs> Yeah, I can't see it, but in terms of Manchester City then, I mean, there's so many elements we can touch on, like where to start and things like that. I suppose, first off, how are you feeling about it and and what would you what would you take? You know, if, if I was to offer you a point now, would you be satisfied? How are you feel? I mean, yes, I would take a point. I think I would always take a point from the Etihad, uh, particularly in this case when we've got the home game to come and we're only one point behind. I think... If you add that into the factor that we would have done the majority of our difficulty away games as well by this point, I think it all points to uh, you would accept a draw. But in terms of how am I feeling, I'm feeling confident. Um, I looked at City and City are still a very good football team, but they are doing things which give us a bit more hope than they had done previously. And I think that we can be in a position to capitalise on that. I think... It's strange, because I said this is the biggest game of the season. I think it's also really the only game that most Liverpool fans go into fearing the worst. Like, if you said to any Liverpool fan at the start of the season, you're going to lose one game all season, they would all assume it would be Man City away. And I think psychologically, because of our record there, because of the way it's gone, most of our worst defeats, heaviest defeats have happened there. So there's a bit of kind of... Um, I don't know, trepidation about it from a fan's perspective. I think from the players, particularly as we keep saying this is a new team, I think that a lot of that can be eliminated by how they go about it. Yeah, I think I am similar to you. I think um, I would obviously take a point, I think, just 
because of the level of the opponent, the fact it's away from home, the current state of the league, and the fact that we're, at, we're within one point of them, it's not really decisive yet. But it could be decisive when they come to Anfield. Yes. So I would probably take a point. But in terms of how I feel going into it, like confidence-wise, I don't overly know. Um, I feel more intrigued than anything else. I feel more like... I think I've said a few times on this podcast so far this season, uh, it's difficult for me to gauge just yet how good this Liverpool team is. Mm. This is probably the ultimate gauge that you're going to get, really, City away from home. I think we'll learn a lot about Liverpool, um, what we're capable of doing, how difficult we actually are to beat, because the only games we've lost so far was one against Toulouse, which didn't really matter, and one against um, Spurs after going down to nine men. And despite that, the winning goal was an own goal by our own by Joe Mazzup. So with the last kick of the game. Yeah, yeah. So Liverpool look really difficult to beat so far this season. More difficult to beat than Manchester City, who've lost, I think, three times in the Premier League already, I think. It yeah. might be wrong in saying that. Um but yeah, I think that's that's how I feel going into it. Just more just yeah, intrigued just to see how we cope with them, how we cope with the best team in the world, probably. Um because I think we, I think we can cause them real issues with with the weapons that we've got now, specifically in attack. I agree. I think that defensively is probably the area where they are looking below what we expect of a peak Manchester City team. They're giving teams more opportunities, not only within games but to get back into games once they've taken the lead, which I think is the real thing for Liverpool to take hold of. But yeah, I think you're right. It's still very early to be able to say for definite and there's that's one thing we've always had in these big man city liverpool games is certainty because for such a long time they've both played a very very specific way very very well and they've matched up against each other very very well so you've almost been able to predict a lot of how the game is going to go in terms of flow in terms of build-up but as you say with liverpool doing things so much differently and Man City feeling and looking slightly different, then there is a lot more um, up in the air about how we attack things and how things end up panning out. Well, yeah, you've just mentioned there about, um, you know, matching up really well. Over the years, I don't think people realise just how similar Liverpool and City have been. Not necessarily in terms of playing style, but in terms of just just subtle little similarities. For example, um, there was a point where both teams went completely strikerless, really. And, and City won the league with 93 points, I think, with like Phil Foden and Bernardo Silva and players like that playing as a false nine. Liverpool obviously had Roberto Firmino doing the same and also got over 90 points. Um, both sides have got Brazilian goalkeepers, for example. Um, I think the kind of Trent Alexander-Arnold, Joe Cancelo trend of, of like creative right-backs was an interesting little thing. And now they've both moved towards um, really physical, fast, imposing poaching strikers who who are completely the opposite to the previous versions. But because of that, um, we're almost going into this game with similar intentions, at least to Manchester City, in the sense that both teams are going to favour 4-3-3, primarily. And both teams tend to move towards more of a 3-2-5 in possession with an inverted fullback tucking inside and advanced number eight and 
seeing two teams do that at once would be weird. <laughs> well, so I mean, what, what do you think about that? I mean, there was a little bit of a preview of it in the um, City away at Arsenal. I mean, it wasn't an exact match, but it was the kind of game that City went into more looking to contain and control rather than impose. And obviously, they didn't have Rodri that day, which made a massive difference. Yeah, but definitely. What you ended up getting, which I suspect is one of the issues you might see with two teams playing the system, is a very clogged centre of the pitch. And then it became a battle of who could adapt and then find width and use it more efficiently. And as it turned out, in that game, neither of them really did it that well. And I think it was just a deflected own goal almost that won the game. So it wasn't a great game. It was all more teams cancelling each other out. I think Liverpool could find themselves drawn into that game, but I think that there's very specific things they can do to avoid that as well. So it's going to be fascinating. I think this is the first of City's big games this season where they're at home. I don't know how much of a difference that will make, but I think to a certain extent, there is still a kind of a philosophical point for both managers here where there is a kind of a more safe, secure version of what they want to do and then there is a more uh, bold attacking version of what they want to do. And what they choose to do may well end up having an influence on what the other opponent, uh, the opponent wants to do, or if they try to psych each other out or outthink each other, which we know has happened a few times in this fixture. Yeah, well, I think when it comes to the inverted stuff in particular, I, I think we will see less of it from Liverpool's side, um, simply because for it to work, for it to make sense, you have to dominate the ball and you get in a position then where you form the attacking shape and, you know, attack using that shape. And then if you re- if you lose the ball, you immediately in a position to press and regain it and start the next attack and just dominate, really. Yeah. Against Manchester City, it's just not going to happen, is it? You, you, you do not contain a Guardiola team. It just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. They... they I'm not say they contain you. They don't necessarily contain you, but they the, the ball belongs to them for the most part. Um, so it doesn't make a, a great deal of sense for Liverpool to use the inverted stuff as much as usual. So I, I think it could just be a case of Liverpool. I think one of the options Klopp will have to think about is just whether he goes, kind of rolls it back a few years and just does kind of original 4-3-3 Liverpool against Guardiola where you kind of sit in a bit of a mid-block at times, mm. force them into mistakes, immediately uh, counter-attack when you regain the ball. And, yeah, very like Mane, Firmino, Wijnaldum, Ox kind of Liverpool. Um, mm. I think we've got, the, we've got the midfield now at least to have a go at doing that again. Um, but it's that's just one of the many options yeah. that Klopp has in, in for this game. It's interesting, that one. I think... The idea of kind of going full retro would be interesting, particularly at this stage in this team's development, to be able to say, look, we want you to be as adaptable as possible. We want to be able to throw something in and surprise the opponents, but doesn't kind of take you too far out of your comfort zone. So that is a that is a fascinating one. I think I agree with you on the inverted business. I think the thing, again, we talk about the similarities. There's a key difference between how City do it and how Liverpool do it. In as much as City are now bringing a centre-back forward rather than a fullback forward and it really doesn't seem like it's that much of a difference but the reality is is that it's a lot easier to transition between the two 
when the guy's moving from central because, frankly, everyone's got less distance to move to get into position. The, the centre-back basically runs five yards in front. Everyone else moves five yards away, as opposed to if you're bringing a right-back all the way across into the centre, he's naturally, he's, he's, he's travelling more and it's taking longer to do that move. So if you are going from possession to uh, uh, from counter-attacking, for example, and you want to switch which quickly, it's a lot more efficient to do it Man City's way. So that's one reason I think Liverpool won't do it as much. I think the other one is one of the other options we've got is to kind of do what we were doing at Brighton and try to kind of create a semi-diamond. With, with yeah, I, I wondered this, yeah. And then that way, what you have, rather than you've got McAllister marooned against their two number 10s, you can bring your centre-backs along um, up and push up alongside them. Then you can essentially have the three of them on top of those two number 10s. And that means you can keep your full-backs wide and attentive to their wide forwards. So it allows you to basically cover their front five while still allowing you potential routes to play through them. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Anfield pod- yeah, the diamond, the diamond did cross my mind. I mean, one of the worries I would have about that is just obviously that the kind of 1v1 specialists City have on the flanks would be a concern. If they were to progress using the flanks and say, for example, they were to feed someone like a Doku very early, he'd have acres of space out wide if we were using a diamond. But other than that, as you say, it would allow Liverpool to kind of um, kind of have real coverage in, in the yeah. sense. And I remember last season when we first started adopting um, this kind of new box midfield shape, Nottingham Forest came to Anfield and Steve Cooper employed a diamond in the middle. Yeah. And he basically man-marked Liverpool's box and we... I think we, I think we scored three goals in the game, and all three were from set pieces, and we 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 created virtually nothing in open play, and a lot of it was because of that. So that would be a way to, I suppose, nullify City potentially. Yeah, but but we also <clears throat> could potentially nullify ourselves in the process with that. Well, yeah, and that's an issue. I think, as I said earlier, maintaining width is going to be paramount. What I'd like, though, if you looked at Chelsea um, in the game against City. They, they were kind of clever with it because they had kind of Cole Palmer sneaking in to make a diamond at certain points. And at that point, he was kind of releasing Reese James to fire up the right-hand side. I think if you look at the way Liverpool play, it wouldn't really suit Mo Salah to do that. So it would have to be happening on the other side where it would be Diaz who tucks in, allowing a Simicast to kind of maraud up and, and get into advanced positions to maybe play an early ball into Nunes. That's... If it's something where there's a certain trigger, um, well, something we see from the opponents where we can get into that position and get it to work, then that's great. Yeah, I think having it as the main game plan, the only game plan, as with anything with Manchester City, it gives them time to work out how to get around it. And as you say, if you are going to be playing the diamonds, the, the narrowness of your attack and defence can be an issue. And... I think we're going to come on to the decision around who plays fullback. I do think it will be Costas. And I do think it's one of those games where if we give him too much to do, it might be uh, to our detriment. So maybe that comes into it as well. Would you go Costas out of interest? Yes, I would. 
specifically for two, re- well, three reasons. One, um, he got a nice little break in, in the international because he only played one game because he was suspended for the second. Two, he did very well in the game against Brentford where he knew going in he was going to be targeted and he met up to it. And three, and probably the most important, the problem with Joe Gomez playing left back is the narrowness of the field. He will constantly be wanting to come into his right-hand side. And that would allow them to post uh, Foden or a Bernardo Silva or a Grealish just floating and just allow them to drift out, cause all kinds of trouble. And I think it will just mean that we'll be easier to defend. So personally, I think it's one of those ones where you take the potential risks in terms of obviously concentration, in terms of obviously him having a bad day, so to speak, against the potential rewards of him in advanced areas. I do still think that his crossing is a real weapon and that we are beginning to see more and more. And I think if we played our game plan right and he has a good game, then we can really make some ground from it. I am slightly torn, I think, regarding Simakash and Gomez. Um, I agree with everything you've said, but I think one of the reasons this game is um, a bit of an isolated one-off is, is simply because I think this is the one of the few games in which Liverpool will rely on on the break, basically, to attack, rather than having to break down a block. And if you're not breaking down a block... Um, there's maybe less of an emphasis, less of a need for width because you, you most of your attack, I can picture now hmm. what Liverpool's attacking will look like against this team and it will be it will be regaining the ball through a mistake probably and then immediate passes forwards, you know, things like that on the break with, with the front three, probably like maybe a Sobosly getting involved as well, something like that. Um so I, I'm not sure Liverpool's back four will will do much attacking at all. Obviously, we know Trent is Trent. Hmm. But I think if there's one game where we could get away with having an extra centre-back at the back there who's not left-footed and just wants to be, be a safety net for 90 minutes, hmm. this could be the game where you, where you think about that um, and just have a bit more of like a defensive block almost and, and, and let kind of like the front five or yeah the from five kind of players you know go and get the goal for you if you like if you like no that makes sense and again i think you're right with the fact that it is this fixture means that naturally um that's kind of security particularly maybe even early on in the game can be um prioritized but again i do think obviously we're not going to be doing as much attacking necessarily i do think that in terms of our build-up play when you think about city's aggressive press it can be an issue if we become too narrow, particularly if we aren't bringing Trent into midfield as often as we have previously. I think it might be times when you need the the, ball, the game as stretched as possible. I think the other thing with the Costas thing, in terms of mitigating some of his potential issues of drifting out of position exactly, if you've got the midfield around him, particularly if you are picking Curtis Jones, I do think that that's something that he has become um, adept at in terms of patrolling that area, knowing when he has to drop in and knowing when he can advance. So it's an option, but you're right. It really is one of those where you can see why they would do this and you can see why they would do that. And it really does. It's up to how Klopp feels about the game, how he feels about those game plans and how likely they are to come to fruition. 
Well, I think the big selection dilemma I think he's got, even even above uh, Simakas, is Nunes or Gakpo. I, I think that's a really, really interesting one. And obviously, a lot of people now will be probably screaming at me, saying <laughs> it's it's obviously Nunes. You obviously play Nunes and stuff like that. Listen, Nunes has started the last three Premier League games in a row, I think, and he's done really well. He's just scored two for Uruguay, so he, he quite clearly... Did he score three, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's quite clearly in form. But, again, you have to bear in mind the opposition. This is Manchester City, and the things Klopp has said about Nunes in the past yes, would definitely apply to, to this in terms of weaknesses because you have to be defensively and tactically flawless in terms of your positioning, your decision-making, when to press, when not to press, how to cover, where to cover. All of that stuff has to be flawless um, as the leader of Liverpool's press yes. in this game. And we're going to be without the ball more than usual. And Nunes is getting better, definitely, with this sort of thing. But Gakpo is a lot more of a natural with this sort of stuff. Klopp's actually said that, that he's very good at he you know, putting instructions on the pitch and, and delivering in that sense. So it's definitely... And Nunes is playing in South America, by the way, this week. So... Yes. It's definitely a question. It's more of a question, I think, than 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 people think. No, that's true. I think the um, the international time will come into it. I believe he played um, two eighty minutes in the two games, but got goals in both games. Three goals, um, and yes, those things are still a concern. However, I do think there's going to come to a point where eventually he's you're going to have to take off his. Um, his own um, swim bands and let him swim. Because I, <laughs> I mean, we have to. Like that one, yeah. We we have to acknowledge the fact that clearly having Nunes in the team is still Plan A. It is still what we want to be able to do. However, obviously, like you say, there are certain things in these big games you have to make sure he can do. I do think he's getting better. I do think the influence of his international manager Marcelo Bielsa has not done him any harm either in terms of a lot of those things, not just in terms of the energy required to play for him, but the intelligence of knowing about triggers and about how to cut down lanes and basically not just bullock into the defender as he often tended to do early on. <clears throat> but I think he's at the point in his career now and his Liverpool career to say, look, this is a big job, but we think you can do it. Go out and prove us right. Rather than being... I'm still not sure about you. Let's do the Gakpo thing. And yeah, all the things you said about Gakpo are right. And I think that in that situation, he will be uh, a solid, um, in terms of press, he'll be able to help them. And they'll maybe be able to ruin the ball back up high up the pitch and go and spring an attack. And that'll be the game plan. But I do think looking at City's defence and midfield, as I said earlier, that is still their weakest point. So, I think personally, I'd be going into it saying we can hurt them there and we need to go into this with the mindset of more concerned about hurting them than worried about them hurting us. So I still think that's how you beat Manchester City, even at the Etihad. Yeah, I just I always go back to the uh, the, the racehorse comments that, that Klopp made when he described them as a racehorse. That was not a compliment. No, uh, but I, I would love, honestly, I would love to to ask Klopp about how he feels about it now. Because well, I think I, I think this is this is the game. 
that this is the game. We, we will see how he feels about that with this game. If if Nunes starts in this game, that for me will be the ultimate show of faith, and that will be yeah, yeah, the death of the race. Yeah, um, and that that will be kind of like the ultimate. Like okay, Nunes is now the guy. He's done it. He's he's kind of he's come out the other side basically from when yeah. he was like previously you know out the team a little bit and. You know, people had doubts about him a little bit and things like that. This is the ultimate game for him in terms of like, it's it's difficult because from Guardiola's perspective, I think he would be most worried about Nunes. I think yeah. if Nunes was playing, it would strike much more fear in Guardiola and his defence than if Gakpo was playing. Yeah. But I think Guardiola's team will have more joy on the ball if Nunes is playing as well. So that's the balance that Klopp needs to get right. And I think Klopp will have probably mm. spent the past week or two, you know, weighing up mm. how good is this Manchester City uh, team in deeper areas and, and how good do we have to be to stop it? Do we need to be Firmino level good? Mm. Or can we incorporate Nunes and still be watertight enough to win the game? I, I think we can. I think when you think about the um, the players around him and how... He has now become a more of a link. He's, he's not a man alone. When he's doing his moves, he's very much in tune with the team. So they are able to kind of work with him. I think that really helps. I think when you add into the fact that against Chelsea, again, their natural build-up play didn't look as smooth. Chelsea were able to get in and amongst them. They had a double pivot of, obviously, Caicedo and Fernandez who were sitting in and around Rodri and Akanji and making it more hard, difficult. We can, in theory, do that. I do think if Nathan Ake is playing, then it makes them more dangerous. Obviously, John Stones is still by far the best version of doing that. I just think that between Ake and Akanji, there is a clear two and three, and Ake is a much better player at it. So if Ake's there, then they probably will maintain... I don't think I see them bringing in a Nunes or even a Rico Lewis or someone else at this stage. I think it is going to be between those two. Um, but again, I think that with City looking more vulnerable than previously in that area, it leans me to be able to say, yes, go out there, Nunes. Because again, I think, like you say, Guardiola would be more worried about Nunes. I think he'd be more worried about Liverpool in general because it's a mindset. It's a, we're coming yeah. to hurt you. And I think that, I, I know I'm going to keep saying it, I think that in the balance between, even though this is a game we can afford, we can afford to lose this game, really, in reality. I think it's a situation where you wouldn't want to lose this game badly. You wouldn't want to lose more than a two by two goals. That might be an issue. But other than that, you can afford to lose it. But think about what happens if you win it. Yeah. I think, for me, I think I look at the characters that we've got in this team and I think that I'd like to say that that's how they'll be attacking it. There are a few, obviously, more. Um, I think in midfield, there's a couple more decisions. Like, I do think there's a question around McAllister simply because of what happened the last time we tried to get him to do this, uh, come back from international to a half 12. But also the nature of what happened in that game, i.e. all of the fighting in the stands between Argentinian fans and all of the emotional toll of that whole game and the fact he did play 90 minutes. But also, Man City are going to have, as I mentioned, those two number 10s. And 
when mm. it's not worked with McAllister, it's when he's been trapped. And I feel like one with one of those terms being his good friend Julian Alvarez, there is more scope for that to happen. So it might be that Klopp's looking for another solution. But obviously, the good thing you get with McAllister is you get someone who's comfortable securing the ball in that early build-up phase of play when they're coming under real pressure from the City press, someone who should be able to maintain, recycle, and do it under pressure and still get us progressively up the pitch. So you look at the options for who would potentially not, if you don't pick um, McAllister. Well, obviously, Endo's the guy who's been uh, rotating with him so far. I don't think he has that in his locker. I think most of us would be quite scared. He cannot do that. He cannot do that to him. So, I think your other solution here might be to play Curtis Jones as the six, Ryan Gravenberg and Sobersai. I think a lot of people are saying, is it going to be Jones or Gravenberg? I think if McAllister is maybe compromised by the travel or Klopp's wondering about those things, I think that's the move. You play them both. Yeah, well, I, I am glad you mentioned McAllister, actually, because he, I think, going into the game is the player I'm most worried about him most. Um, I'm a big fan of him. Everyone knows that. And I do think he's had a fine season so far. No worries. But I think, obviously, Guardiola going into this game, Guardiola's the ultimate in terms of like looking at what you've got and highlighting your weakness. And I don't necessarily think McAllister is our weakness, but... He's a player who's getting to grips with a role that is a little bit alien to him in the sense that he's not used to being the most defensive player in the in the unit, in the midfield unit. Um, he's not used to being the last player in terms of like the deepest on his own, which I think will happen more often considering Trent won't be next to him because he won't be inverting as much. So I am concerned that Guardiola will kind of look at Liverpool and rather than aiming for Trent, which he tends, which he's done many times, and rather than even aiming for like Simicas, I think he might look at McAllister and think overload him and give him too much to do and make him run and make him caught between posts, and that's a concern for me. And I, I don't think Liverpool really have. I mean, Curtis Jones is a decent show, but this is the thing: Liverpool don't really have. An alternative there for, for me, Endo is not an option no. for, to start this game. You, you can't do that to him. Um, no, I, I, I think my reasons for Jones, apart from the fact that obviously he has the abilities, as I said, to take the ball under pressure, he's so good at keeping the ball, he has a very high passing completion rating. So, these are things I think you can mitigate against it. I like I say, for me, I agree with you what we said about Trent not becoming inside means that McAllister becomes vulnerable. So then you have your two options. As I say, you try to make it more of a 4-3-3 and maybe draw the eights back a little bit, but then you lose something going forward. Or you go the opposite way and you ask your centre-backs to push up and almost make a three with McAllister. So there is less easy to trap. I think that's what's going to be the plan for City, definitely, to try and trap him. You're going to have Bernardo Silva, you're going to have Alvarez, always in the, looking over the shoulder, looking for him. Then if you have a Foden out wide, playing nominally out wide, he can creep in to create a three-way little a barrier at certain points. I think that's going to be their plan, definitely. If I was 
looking at us as a way to try and break us up. That would be one of the ones I would use, particularly if Trent is going to stay within his right back area. So you think about how you how you game plan against the game plan. And for me, I think it is trusting the players to be able to always play out of the press. But also, I think having your centre-backs close by at all times. So if at any point he needs a quick out ball, he's not having to go all the way back to the goalkeeper. Yeah, I just think from Guardiola's perspective, you know, bear in mind what Guardiola was when he was a player. And bear in mind the players he's worked with since he's been a coach in that spot in terms of like a, a Rodri at the minute, Sergio Busquets, you know, he, he, Philip Lam, I think, played that role a yeah. bit for him, Thiago. Javi Martinez. So, yeah, he, he's massive on this position. The, the, the sixth position is massive for Guardiola. And I think he will look at Liverpool and think, well, regardless of what Klopp does here, whether he plays McAllister or Endo or Jones, he doesn't really have a a top quality um, natural player for that spot. And as a result of that, it's almost a case of no matter what, we're going to be weak there. So it's an option for him to target. And I do think he will do that. But one of the ways in which we can get around that is by playing with our own shape. And for example, in I always go back to 2020, Liverpool came to the Etihad out of nowhere with a 4-4-2. Um, midfield two of Wijnaldum and Henderson, I think it was. Um, Jota and Mane on the flanks and Salah and Firmino up front. And it, it worked really well. It was very good. It was a good game. Um, he caused them loads of issues in the first half an hour. They didn't know where he was because he didn't expect it. We should have been a few goals up. I think by that point, we were only one up in the end. And they ended up getting a goal back by, like, I think, maybe around half time or something like that. But that would at least give McAllister a permanent partner in there. But if that permanent partner, it, that, that means you can only pick one more centimetre out of all the options you've got. And if that's Soboslein, you've got a midfield two of Soboslein and McAllister that the Eddie had. It's very offensive. Yeah. Um, so it's it's so many kind of, uh, you know, well, unanswered questions regarding this game. I think if you're doing the 4-4-2, four, four, then I think it becomes Jones and McAllister as a central and Zobberside becomes the right-hand side attacker. Salah becomes a forward. I think that's really the only way I can see it working because, as you say, it does leave you a little bit open if you're asking them to, to be the only two um, midfielders. So, yeah, I mean, again, there were elements looking back at the way Chelsea played against City where they were in a bit of a 4-4-2 four, four, mid-block and matching them up within midfield and making it more difficult for them. Um, I wonder, because there's been a lot of talk about the 12.30 lunchtime kickoff and all the struggles Liverpool have had with it in the past, and blah de blah blah It's not going to be easy for City either. And yes, they're going to have less players coming from um, uh, South America, I believe. It's only Edison and Alvarez, and I think they'll probably both play. I do think it's going to cause them an issue in terms of it could be quite flat. It could be hard for them. And so it's one of those games where both teams will probably maybe feel each other out. It's not going to be a fast start from anyone anticipated. But then you could look at that and say, well, maybe that's a good reason to make a fast start because that's not what's being anticipated. But I think that it might get into a bit stodgy at times in this game and City might be a little bit looking for 
inspiration, which is why it is paramount, paramount that we do not give away anything easy or sloppy. Because if we let them out of jail on that one, after making it difficult for them for 35 to 40 minutes, uh, yeah, we can't let that happen. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, well, one fear that I have in this going into this game, and this this is stupid, but it sums up um, it sums up the Premier League this season. I am just terrified of a red card. I just really want Liverpool to face Manchester City and the best team to win. Is that, is that too much to ask for? <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm terrified of 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 a referee just centre stage. It it winds me up, mate. Like we ne- we never talk about referees on this show, and that's yeah. because. You cannot have any impact whatsoever on them. They are just there, and they have a massive impact on the game. But you know that that's just on them. You can't control them. So I hope this game is decided by the elements we're touching on, as opposed to a guy who never actually touches the ball. You know, it's, it's very very annoying when that happens, and it's happened in it the is. past. Was it the Etihad? I mean, yes, it has. We 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 know very well, but I mean. Yeah. It's one of those things that you really cannot control because everyone, if only I believe it's Chris Kavanagh who's going to be the ref for this game. And I mean, I'm pretty sure that there's been bad decisions that he's not given us. Because someone, someone better than me or more versed to me in the referee league tables will tell you how bad he is. But essentially, the issue I find with Chris Kavanagh is that he's one of those refs that often looks a bit rabbit in the headlights. And... <laughs> We can't afford that to happen in this game. And so then you think about what normally happens in these situations and how big in big games, when refs, quote unquote, feel like they are, you know, ducking big decisions, then it normally ends up favouring the home side, whoever that is. So that's yeah. the situation. But frankly, we can't afford to waste any time and energy thinking or even talking about that because we no one has any control over that. At all. I mean, again, you can look at it and say maybe when you consider what I was saying last week and someone had a little bit of an issue with around the idea of good fouls and bad fouls and how Endo's good here and McAllister isn't. I mean, that wouldn't be enough to get Endo in the team. It's not what I'm saying, but it might be enough to maybe remove McAllister from it. Because if you look back at the the games where he's been yellow carded early, it's, it's been obvious. Like, he's not kind of slyly getting away. He's basically got someone's beating him and he's trying to desperately get back. If you have one of those situations early in the game with a referee like this, then that can escalate. I don't know whether or not they're thinking that deeply on it. I think it, if they're making a pro and a con board, then it'll be on there. But I'm not sure whether that'll be enough to make the actual um, tactical team decision. I'd like to think not. I'd like to think we aren't picking footballers because of refs. I think we're picking them because of the opposition. Yeah, yeah. And that's without even getting into where Chris Cavanagh is actually from. Oh, <laughs> But we won't even go there. We won't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let people, um, you know, have a look on Google for themselves, I think. But um, if, we, if we're kind of sticking on the game, I think one other element that we haven't really touched on yet is, is probably Doku and the fact that he's a, a bit of a new element for this game. Compared to previous years, he hasn't faced Liverpool yet. And I don't know if he'll start, actually. I think Grealish could start. But if Doku does start, 
he's obviously very scary. <laughs> like he's he's absolute master dribbler, like to the extent where it's crazy. Um mm-hmm. I think he's joined top of the Premier League at the minute for successful dribbles with 31 with Matthias Cunha and Eberechieze. And Doku has played fewer minutes than anybody in the top 30 um, by some distance as well. So yeah. he's nuts, mate. He's, he's, he's a master dribbler, as I said. And if he does play, he will be up against Trent. So a yes. little bit scary. Well, yes, but... I do think that we have to remember that as much as Trent has often been exposed defensively in games previously, he has also played very well defensively against opponents. A lot of the same, every time you see a a conversation about Trent defensively, you'll see Rashford and you'll see Martinelli and you'll probably see Sane. But then... What they don't show is that there have been examples of Trent locking up all three of those guys. So I think if you're in a situation where he's doing less midfielding and more fullbacking, and you kind of say to him, go on, meet this challenge, then I like it as an idea. It might still blow up in our faces. It might, Douglas might be fantastic. But I think from a tactical point of view, it's a little bit easier facing Doku than the Greedish because. I mean, it's a very good dimension, but it is still pretty much one dimension. You probably, you know what his intentions are whenever he receives the ball. So again, it's like what we said last week with Brentford. Knowing what their game plan is can sometimes be good, sometimes be bad, but obviously they're so good at it that they're still going to do it. So how you meet that challenge is interesting. I think if we are going to maybe, if Trent is going to be doing a lot more of the inverted midfielding and he's going to try to, again, impose themselves on City as opposed to the other way around, then I think we have a genuine serious question about who plays alongside Virgil. Because obviously the likelihood is with Canate only having a slight injury that he will be back in for that game. But we have seen in the past when he has come back from injuries, he has been a little bit uh, rusty. I think it's fair to say he sometimes needs some time to get up to speed. And if we're asking him to do that job where he's having to move or cover a large part of the field, as is one, because even when we're saying before with the, the movement of the inverted, you do spread out a bit. It's a bigger job than if you're doing it from a centre half coming forward. You're asking a lot of him to come back straight in. I wonder if, if we're going to ask Trent to do more inverted midfield. Then we look at Joe Yeah, well, I, I would be a lot more comfortable with Matter playing if Doku wasn't playing. Um, if Doku is playing, I would be a little bit shakier. Um, simply because, it, you know, if Trent gets beaten, you know, Matter will be providing the backup for him and Matter lacks pace above anything else, and Doku certainly doesn't. Um, so, yeah, I'd be slightly concerned about that. But then Haaland is obviously playing and. Well, well, he's rumored to be carrying a knock, but I think he'll play. Um, but if he, if if Haaland plays, obviously Haaland offers a massive threat in behind. Liverpool will kind of creep up the pitch and have a bit of a high defensive line. Virgil will keep up with him, uh, but Massa probably won't, which again is is a reason why you'd probably want Canate in there. Yeah. Um, that looks like a, a a real battle for the ages. To be fair, doesn't it? Um, Haaland against 
a resurgent Virgil. That'll be that'll be a good one. But ideally, we'll just kind of keep the supply away from him completely. Mm. Um, but yeah, in terms of uh, predictions, mate, we'll kind of close with with predictions. We don't do them every week, but this week we can't knock, can we? No. Go on. So. I am actually predicting, despite all of what I said about adventure and attack and about how we should go out there to impose ourselves on them, I'm predicting a 1-1 draw. I think that we'll take the lead, but I think that they'll get back. I think it's going to be a tight game, a tough game. It's probably not going to be a great watch for the neutral, unfortunately. Again, the difference between Saturday half 12 and Sunday half 4. But I think Liverpool will... I think both teams will score. I think Liverpool get a point. Yeah, I'm finding it tricky, again, because of reasons that I said earlier in terms of me just being intrigued by how we will cope with this team. So it's it's hard for me to say, but I do think both teams will score. Um, I think 1-1 is entirely possible, but I also think 2-1 in someone's favour is, is, is up there as well. Probably the home side, really, to be fair. But I think we can... It's difficult because I think we could win this game. I, I, yeah. I really think we could win this game and surprise quite a few people. But it's one; it's difficult to predict this one. It really does feel like you're just going to be going into the game and just seeing, you know, seeing yeah. what happens, see how we see how we compete against this these treble winners, basically. So it's definitely one to watch, uh, and we'll be talking about it next week. But Mo, thanks for joining us, mate. No problem. Enjoyed it as ever. Enjoy the game, and we will be speaking about it next week. So see you then, and thanks for tuning. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.